Incarnational Relationships, spoken by Pastor Peter Ahn. as you're here. Uh, a lot of you are here with your families. This is a day where we come together as a family, doesn't it? And I think for a lot of us, though, when we think about Christmas, sometimes we sort of miss the, the sort of the sacredness of what this day really is about because we've sort of secularized it. We live in this country, and because we live here in America, Christmas is really about Santa Claus more than it's about Jesus. Christmas is more about buying gifts for people than it is really for looking at the great gift that God has brought for you. And so for a lot of us, this is a day where, yes, we, we, we understand the spiritual significance of this day to some degree, but we don't understand the depth, the brevity, the weight, the, the, the gravitas of what Christmas is really about. And so we're here today, and our hope is that as we look at this day and as we look at a passage of Scripture, that we'll be able to really understand the depth of what this day means for us. Christmas represents that God loved us so much that he gave us a precious gift in the name of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came into this world, and he gave us Jesus as a gift to us so that we can receive this gift. 2,000 years ago, God couldn't trust us anymore. He couldn't trust us anymore that we can enter into a relation with him based upon sort of what we do. And so he took matters into his own hands because he was sick and tired of our idol worships. He was sick and tired of the things that we worshiped more than him. And rather than throw us by the wayside, he decided to create this way where he gave us Jesus Christ. And no longer will our relation with him be dependent upon our spiritual output, but it's all dependent upon what Jesus Christ has done for us through his life, his death, and his resurrection. Amen? That's what this day is all about. And really, in essence, it's about this gift in which God has given to us, but the gift really represents a relationship, that God wants you and I to enter into a relationship with him. And that relationship with him will often be a reflection of how we are able to relate and connect with one another. Let me just say this once again. You, how deep you are in your relationship with God will be determined by how deep you are in terms of your relationships with others. We cannot be in a deep relationship with God if we're not in deep relationships with other people. They actually go hand in hand. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about how do we nurture, how do we develop an incarnational relationship with God, but then other people as well. They're the same principles. They go hand in hand, right? The word incarnation is just a very fancy theological word that means embodied in flesh. That's what it means, meaning Jesus Christ on Christmas Day embodied. He became, God became a man, and he entered into this world. And as a result of it, what we learn is we learn how we too can have an incarnational relationship with God and with other people by looking at this Christmas story. It's beautiful. It really is. And uh, you know why this is so pr- uh, critical for us to sort of enter into and live into on this Christmas Sunday? For some of you, this is sort of like a derogatory word. But at the end, the reason why incarnational relationships are important in our lives is because It fosters intimacy. And I think God grieves today because so many of us continue to live our lives without being in intimate relationships with one another. God created you for intimacy. He created you so that you can be fully known. And even to this day, there's a lot of us where we don't think we need it. And you forget that part of being in a relationship with God, this incarnational relationship, is about entering into an intimate relationship with the very God who created you and about entering into an intimate relationship with some people in your life. I don't know about you, but the older that I'm getting, I realize it's so hard. 
It's so hard to live in intimate relationships with people. I have to be super intentional in order for me to do that. Otherwise, I just get involved or engulfed in work. And work becomes my relationship, which you can't ever, you can never have a relationship with work. God never created you for that. He created you for intimacy with him and with other people. And on this Christmas Sunday, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture where we're going to learn how we can develop an incarnational relationship with God and with one another so that we can start to live out what God, why God put us on this earth for, intimacy. And so if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Philippians. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. So God, we come to you on Christmas Eve, this beautiful story of you sending your son to enter into this world. God, would you help us to understand the significance of this, and would you help us to look at the ultimate role model, Jesus Christ, and how he was able to have an incarnational relationship with you and how he was able to have an incarnational relationship with other people while he was here on earth. God, I pray for those in this room that are here. I pray that you would open their eyes, their ears, and their hearts. I pray for those, God, who are older, who've lived their entire lives not being known, who lived their entire lives not ever experiencing what intimacy really is. God, I pray that you would open their eyes and their hearts. And God, that there would be a longing that they would hear your voice calling them home today. I pray for all of us in this room, God, no matter how young we are, no matter how old we are, God, that we would see the necessity of this in our life, God, that we wouldn't just base our faith upon embracing some forms and methods, but God, that we would see it as building intimacy with the very God who created us and intimacy with some people in our lives that you've put in our lives. And so, God, I pray that on this Christmas Eve, that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, that it will be pleasing unto you. And all of God's people said, amen. No, I know this isn't typically a, a, a Christmas passage. Uh, many of you are used to reading the, the stories in the Gospels where you, where you look at the birth of Jesus Christ. Uh, but, you know, this is probably one of the most powerful passages of Scripture that really highlights the Christmas story. Um, scholars call this the hymn of Christ. There is probably nowhere else in the Bible from verses 5 through 11 where you get such potent theology of Jesus' life, his birth, his life, his death, and his resurrection. And, uh, and we really see this incarnation of God here, meaning embodied in flesh. That's exactly what incarnation means. And in this story in Philippians, especially verses 5 through 11, we get sort of this view or with this understanding of how we can live an incarnational relationship with God and also with others. And really the verse that talks about this 
this incarnational relationship is found in verse 5. It says here, Paul says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then he starts going on. He starts sharing with us what an incarnational relationship looks like from verses 6 through 11. So what are the aspects of attaining or living in an incarnational relationship with God and other people. The first thing we learn in this story is that we become incarnational in our relationship with God and others when we embrace our weakness, not our strength. When we embrace our weakness, not our strength. Look at verse 6. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Christmas is about Jesus becoming weak as he entered into this world. He became so weak that he didn't enter this world as a strong adult man. He entered this world as what? As a baby, which is the most vulnerable and weakest state of a human being is a baby. When Jesus entered into this world, there was already a bounty on his head. Herod wanted him dead. And so there was a successful genocide that occurred around him where Herod decided to kill all the babies around him as a result of it. Jesus could have entered into this world as a strong man, adult man. He could have done that, but he decided not to. And he entered into this world embracing his weakness and being a little baby, a little child. Jesus understood this nature of weakness and that in order for him to have a deep intimate relationship with God, in order for him to have a deep relation, a relational intimate relationship with other people, he needed to embrace his weakness. That was a key component to that. And we, so we find that for Jesus, he spent a lot of times in prayer. Many times, we look at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark and many times the disciples wondered where he was in the morning, but they knew where he was. He was praying. That's where he was. Jesus would spend all night praying in the mountains sometimes, and he'd do that as well. He would pour out his heart to God. And you know, when somebody prays a lot, you know why they pray a lot? Because they know they're weak. They know they need to depend upon somebody who's a lot stronger than them. And that, of course, is God, isn't it? Right? And so Jesus spent so much time praying, connecting with God because he knew that he had to embrace his weakness. He was in contact with that. And so as he entered into this relation with God, he embraced his weakness. One of the most beautiful parts of scripture is that the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was so broken, we see this Jesus who is ultimately so weak, he said to God, I can't do this. Would you take this cup away from me, God? I just can't do this. We see Jesus Christ ultimately weak before his God. There were three people in Jesus' life that are actually able to see his weakness. They saw Jesus' messiahship. They saw his divinity, his mightiness. But they also saw the weak sides of Jesus. And they were James, Peter, and John. And that's the story of the account of the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus brings them, he says, could you guys please pray for me? Because my soul is so overwhelmed to the point of death. Here is God admitting his weakness before his disciples. And then all the world got to see him at his ultimate weakest state when they hung him on that cross and crucified him on that cross. Jesus was completely naked. He was weak. He was helpless. He embraced his weakness. If you and I ever want to have an incarnational relationship with God, you have to embrace your weaknesses today. You have to be open to going to God and connecting with him in your own brokenness and your vulnerability. you got to stop pretending and faking it in your prayer times. And you got to be able to process stuff, failures that you have to 
experience, things, difficulties that you've had to endure. God is big enough to handle that. And like Jesus did, as he went to God regularly and poured out his weakness in front of him, you and I have to do the same. Now, I think we can get there on that aspect, but you know, you really don't get there until you're able to pour out your weaknesses in front of some other people in your life. I'm not saying that you got to be weak in front of everyone. I'm saying in front of a few, that you can be weak. And this is probably the hardest thing for us. It's for us because we live in a culture today that embraces strength. We don't embrace weakness. So for many of us, this idea of being weak in front of other people is really a foreign concept. And do you know there's such a, a big part of who you are that's weak? You're not always, you're not all that strong, really, you're not. Although I know you like to pretend to let people believe that you are, but you're really not all that put together. And there's a part of your humanity, Metro Community Church, on this Christmas Eve, where you got to come to grips with your weakness, but you haven't come to grips with it until you can embrace it in front of other people. I hope that makes sense. Otherwise, you will continue to live your life Honestly, with all these secrets where nobody knows a big part of who you are. You've never invited anyone into your dark little worlds, have you? And that's a dangerous place to be. You know why? Because then Satan has full freedom to do whatever he wants in your dark little world. And the only way for you to allow God's light to emanate and shine in that dark little world of yours is when you open up and you share and you're vulnerable and you can be honest with what you've done and your weaknesses in your life. And when you do that, that's when the light of Christ begins to shine in that dark little world of yours and you, be to, you begin to experience some hope even in that dark world in which you live in sometimes. It's not easy being you, is it? It isn't, is it? It's hard because of some of the weaknesses and the struggles that you're going through. It's not easy having to smile and pretend everything is okay when you know it really isn't. And every time you do that, there seems to be a piece of you that starts to die away every time you do that. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy smiling all the time and telling people that you're doing well when, in fact, you're really not. And there's something inside of you that always seems to perish and dies every time you have to lie about how you really are. It's not easy being you. I get that. It's not easy falling into certain addictive, sinful patterns that always seems to plague you and haunt you. And there's such shame in those, in those sins because you feel like there are these addictions that you can never get over. And you would never share some of those things with anyone in your life. And you continue to hide those areas of your life, allowing the enemy to do whatever he wants with you and continuing to nurture that unhealthiness that you have. And, you know, just because you struggle with sin, it doesn't mean you're evil. It just means you're probably emotionally broken. And you need to be healed emotionally, but you can't be healed until you embrace your weaknesses. It's not easy, is it? It's not easy being in love with somebody else that's not your spouse. And you think about being with them more than you think about being with your spouse. And you have to deal with the reality of that pain all the time. It's not easy, is it? There's a struggle there deep inside of us. But you got to be willing to embrace your weakness because if you don't, you cannot live in an intimate relationship with God and with other people. I wish there was another way, but there really isn't. What's preventing you from embracing your weakness in front of other people today? What's preventing you from embracing your weakness in front of God? What are those barriers for you? My hope is that you'd be open today because Jesus Christ entered this world embracing the weakest state of humanity. He came to us as a little baby. That's the beautiful story of Christmas. And it teaches us that we too must be willing to embrace our weakest, most vulnerable state with God or with others.
because God created you for intimacy. And it's really sad because there's some of you in this room, because you've never really experienced intimacy, you don't think you need that in your life. And you don't understand the depth and the joy that can come and, and how, vit- how, how full your life will be when you can be fully known. God created you so that you can be fully known, not so that you can be somebody that you're not. So um, I have a very close relationship with a friend of mine. He's from L.A., and he's a police officer. He works for the LAPD. And I call those relationships, you just have a few of those. You don't have a lot of them. I call them soulmates, right? Soulmates are people that you share your soul with. And Jeff is a guy who I share my soul with, and we do it a couple times a month. We connect and we talk about how we're doing. And it's never easy, even though I've been doing this for a long time, opening up and embracing my weaknesses, my vulnerabilities, my sins, and different things like that. And because he's a cop, it's interesting because he sometimes interrogates me when I confess a sin. He said, let's break this down a little bit. Where were you when this happened? How were you feeling? What were the emotions that you were going through? Were you tired? Were you stressed out? And so sometimes I feel like he's just interrogating me. But I love it. I do. There's something beautiful about that, that you can be fully known, that somebody can know even the darkest areas of your humanity. Listen, you and me, we're very similar. We sin a lot. But you know what the difference between me and you is? I confess it and you don't. That's the difference. And I can experience an intimate relationship with someone that God has created in his image, and that affords me the opportunity to have an intimate relationship with my God. And so if you want to have an incarnational relationship with God and people, it requires you to be weak. It requires you to embrace that. Don't be ashamed of it. The enemy wants you to believe that this is something to be shameful of. There's nothing wrong with being weak. Jesus was weak, and now he's sitting at God's right hand. And so embrace the weakness that is you on this Christmas day because Jesus entered into this world not as a strong man but as a baby, as a weakling, the most vulnerable state any human being can enter this world in. And it teaches us that we can be weak with God and with one another. I pray that you would begin to invite people into your dark little worlds so that God's light can shine in it. Second, we become incarnational in our relationship with God and others when we have the posture of serving, not being served. All right? When we have the posture of serving, not being served. Verse 5, again, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset, mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. These verses teaches us that Jesus Christ did pre-exist before Christmas. And that's significant, and that's why the virgin birth is really significant. Some of you wonder, why is the virgin birth so significant? Because it proves that Jesus Christ preexisted. If Mary wasn't a virgin, then it didn't prove that he preexisted. The immaculate conception proves that Jesus Christ had life before he entered this world about 2,020 years ago, to be specific. And so the preexistence of Jesus Christ, we see it right here in this passage. And what I love about this is that it teaches us that Jesus Christ was equal to God. He was equal, but then what he did was that he emptied himself as he entered into this world. Really what that emptying means is that he embraced his weaknesses. But please don't understand that when he entered into this world, he didn't empty himself of God's divinity. No. He embraced his weakness, and you know what he did? He showcased the greatest characteristic of God. And you know what that is? Servant. 
I love this Christmas story because it teaches something amazing about God. That God didn't come into this world 2,000 years ago to say, you must serve me. He came to serve you. In Jesus' word in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, he says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now the word servant is translated as slave in the Greek. Servant and slave is the same word that in, the, in the New Testament language here uh, in this passage. And so get this. Jesus Christ came into this world. Why? To become your slave. He didn't ask you to be a slave to him. That's what kings do, don't they? But he says, I've come here to be your slave. I've come here to live and to die on the cross, resurrect from the dead. That's why Christmas is so important. And what we learn about that is that as he entered into this relationship with God, he didn't try to be greater than God. He didn't try to supersede God. He just said, God, how can I serve you? How can I serve you, God? What can I do to serve you better? That's a beautiful thing. And he served his disciples. He served people as he served them. When you read the gospel message, he served his disciples to the point where he even washed their feet. Do you realize the nature? I mean, it's, it's pretty big. If I, if I wash your feet or like you wash my feet, feet are not very clean. But at least we're wearing shoes and socks. Back when you lived in the desert and you wore sandals, you know how dirty your feet were? Filled with urine and feces because you'd be walking all over the place. And Jesus got on his knees and became the ultimate servant and washed the feet of his disciples. That means if you want to have an intimate relationship with God and with other people, which we call incarnational, you have to enter the relationships with a posture of how can I serve you, God? How can I serve you, my wife, my husband? How can I serve you, my child? How can I serve you, my boss, my coworker, my friend, as opposed to you better serve me? You see, when we start to believe that others have to serve us like God, because let's just be honest, for a lot of us, we expect God to serve us. That's why we pray. Why do you pray? Do you pray because you want to embrace your weaknesses? No. A lot of us, we pray. Why? So God could serve us. It's the wrong posture, I believe. Now, there's nothing wrong with asking things from God. Nothing wrong with that. But when you pray expecting God to serve you, that's the wrong posture. It really is. And when you sort of enter into relationships with people and you expect them to serve you, a lot of unhealthy expectations start to form. And that's why you get into fights all the time. You know why couples get into fights all the time? Because they expect their spouse to serve them in a certain way so the expectations are a little bit higher. And when those expectations aren't met, they start fighting. It's like in any relationship. When you have certain expectations that when you're going through a hard time and your friend doesn't call you and check in on you, when you do that to them all the time, what happens? You get angry. You get upset at them like, I do everything for you, but when something, I go through something, you don't even give me a call. Not even a text message, how you doing? Right? And so we have these expectations that become unhealthy because you expect people to serve you. And listen, you cannot enter into intimacy with people if you have that mindset. You have to enter a relationship with people with the mindset of how can I serve you? Because when we serve other people, it requires us to sacrifice for them. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life. The ultimate sacrifice was his life because he wanted to serve you. That's why he has the capacity to have an intimate relationship with you because he went all the way. Now it's our point of saying, how can I serve you, Jesus, where it's not about my life anymore, but it's about yours? Husbands, when was the last time you served your wife? 
Some of you saying, well, she has my credit card. She buys whatever she wants. That's not serving, guys. That's not serving. When was the last time you really sacrificed and said, you know what? I'm going to sacrifice for you. Wise, when was the last time you've done that to your husband? When was the last time you said, how can I serve my spouse better, my husband? Maybe you're dating. Have you served your boyfriend or girlfriend? Although I do believe when you date, there is sort of an element of serving a lot because you want to win them in courtship, right? And it's funny because sometimes after you get married, you don't even like, we don't serve them anymore. Like your wife would be like, you used to open the door for me all the time and now we got married, you never opened the door for me anymore. Things have changed sometimes when you're not courting somebody. Christmas is about God wanting to serve his people, not God wanting you to serve him. Let that sink in for a moment and be impacted by that truth. And may you approach God, not expecting God to serve you, but may you approach him saying, God, how can I serve you more? May you have these relationships with people that you really value, and rather than expecting them to serve you, say, how can I serve you? If you talk to any marriage expert or counselor, they said the greatest question any married couple can ask, it's written in tons of books, that will lead to a successful, intimate, incarnational relationship with your spouse is this one question. Every morning, wake up and say, how can I serve my spouse better today? You do that, and you will have an incarnational relationship with your spouse. I got together with a real young couple last week. Uh, they're both in the film industry, and um, uh, they've only been married for a year. We sat, we had a nice breakfast together, and the wife shared with me that she had to quit her job because the film industry is a brutal industry and it requires you to work all the time. And she realized that if she were to ever have a family, she could never raise a healthy family while in the film industry. So she quit that job and she decided to become a teacher. The husband was still in the business and he was in the cinematography business. And he was quite successful. He started sharing with me the movies he did. And I'm like, oh, my God, I love that movie. I watched it multiple times. And he said, really? I didn't think that movie was very good. I said, you may not have thought it was good, but I thought it was really good. And so we just started talking. And, you know, I've been in the production industry before. I kind of worked in the television industry before I went into, into ministry and stuff. So I kind of understand his world a little bit. So he was giving me details of what he had to do, like with the lighting and stuff, to make everything look good on camera. And it was just so fascinating. But he shared with me that, you know, because he's pretty well known in, in, in the film industry, he has some decent work. But he shared with me that one time, a couple years ago, uh, Marvel, uh, he did a movie for Marvel. And, uh, and it was a scene in New York. They hired him for a few weeks to do something in Times Square. They literally shut down Times Square for about a week and a half. And he's shot for literally that entire week and a half. Um, and he did such a great job. And I'm not going to tell you the movie. If I told you the movie, you would, you would realize this is a real successful movie. They actually said, we would like to sign you for the entire franchise of its history going forward. We love your work that much. And I said, so did you take it? He said, no, I turned it down. I said, why? He said, because I would have to work weekends. And they would force me to go on location. I would have to travel all around the world to do this movie. And he says, Saturdays and Sundays is for my wife and for God. He's like, I do not compromise Saturday and Sunday. I'm going to be honest with you. <laughs> All right. No, no. If I was in the film industry and I was a cinematographer and Marvel offered me a franchise movie for its duration of its history, I mean, I would talk to, I would say, honey, Jenny, like, it's only, I'm not going to see you for four months. You can handle that. 
we'll have so much money, we'll live in a nice house, our kids will have everything. Like, can we do that? I looked at this guy and I just said, you are so way beyond your years. Because he basically said, there is no money, no status, no Oscar awards that I could win that is more important to me than my wife and God. I mean, one year. He's only been married for one year. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Because men, women, it's so easy to be married to our vocation. And if I'm just going to be real on Christmas Eve, your job is the reason why you cannot be in an incarnational relation with God and with other people. Because you work too much. And I know why you are. And I know why you think that's important. But it's really not. Because God created you for intimacy. And that's what Christmas teaches us. And he wants you to enter into an intimate relationship with him. But also with some people in your life that you are close to or you want to be close to. If you have those in your life, you are the richest person alive. But so many of you have settled for the garbage, for money, for status. That's garbage compared to what God's created you for. He's created us for intimacy. And you've got to approach your relationships with the posture of how can I serve you rather than how can you serve me. So that's what impressed me about this young man. He's young. And he has this mindset of, how can I serve my wife today? He says no to any gig that requires him to work on a Saturday and Sunday. I was so inspired and touched by that. Will you serve God today? Will you serve people in your life and have that posture as you relate to them? It'll be incarnational if you do. The very last thing, we become incarnational in our relationship with God and others when we have the posture of obedience, not dominance. It's hard. I know it's hard to picture a God who doesn't dominate, right? And I think that's why God had to be a baby. Because just in our natural mind, when we think of God, we think God needs to dominate us, that he's here to dominate us. But when Jesus entered into this world, he didn't come to dominate. He came as a baby. He obeyed God. And he drastically dependent upon other people to help him to grow up as an adult one day. And so it's about obedience. As you strive for a deeper obedience in your relationship with God and with other people, as opposed to dominating, you'll have this incarnational relationship with God and other people. But it's so hard for us to think that God is a God who doesn't dominate because we're Americans. And Americans, we love to dominate because we dominate everything. Come on, Olympics are coming up in February. You know we're going to dominate that. You know we're going to be number one in the, in, the, in the medal totals every year, every four years. I'm hoping maybe Korea will do well as in Korea this year. Uh, Korea is going to step it up a couple notches this year, hoping for that. But, like, I had dinner. I had lunch with this African guy a couple years ago, and he said, we don't like you Americans. And he said, the reason why is because you always try to dominate. You come to my country and you still want to dominate us. And it's so true, isn't it? Like when I was in Thailand a couple months ago, I was in Thailand in September, and I shared this with you already, but I was offended that cab drivers at the airport couldn't speak English. I was like, that would help them in their business if they spoke some English, right? 
But why do they need to speak English? They're in Thailand. Right? But it's because I think, because I'm an American, and American is the best country in the world. Every country needs to learn how to speak English. It's that dominating idea. We have companies like Apple, Facebook, Google, that aren't just making an impact in this country. They are killing it in the world. We dominate. Our country is all about domination. And therefore, it's hard for us not to think of a God who dominates. And that's why Jesus came to us as a baby. He came not to dominate, but he came to obey God by serving you and me, even unto his death. The incarnation literally represents the antithesis of this human drive to dominate. God is the complete opposite. God doesn't want to dominate you. He wants to be in an intimate relationship with you. And in order for there to be an intimate relationship, you know as well as I do, if there is any kind of domination in that relationship, it ain't going to work. It ain't going to work. And so as you enter into this relationship, can I be very honest with you today? Do you dominate God? Do you? Because what happens if God doesn't answer a prayer request of yours? How do you respond to that today? What happens if you don't find work in 2018? Single people, what happens if you don't get married in 2018? Couples who are struggling with infertility, what happens if you don't have a child and you don't conceive of a child? Even though you pray for it every single day, what happens? How do you respond to those things? Do you respond to it in a sense of dominating God, saying, you know what, I'm, I'm done, man. I'm done, God. And you walk away from him, expecting that God should afford you all these things that you're praying for, that he should answer and serve you in that way? Or will you enter into this relationship saying, God, I'm just going to still obey you? You see, Jesus could have tried to dominate God. What I love about this passage in Philippians 2, he didn't. He chose to obey him instead. And that's why he has such an intimate relationship with God, and he has such an intimate relationship with other people. We live in a world today where wealth, glamour, power, and prestige are accepted ways of achieving the ends uh, to living that life. The only way to achieve it is through dominance over other people. We believe that. Everything you watch on advertisement is a subtle message that in order for you to get what you want, you got to learn to dominate. That's the genius of advertising today. Because it feeds that desire that we want to dominate. I don't know about you, but like, men, come on. Pick up a basketball, play in the basketball court. You think you're just like, oh, I hope we just play okay as a team. Oftentimes, I want to win. I want to dominate. When I see my son playing baseball, I want him to dominate. And when I don't see that, I'm like, what are you doing? Dominate. What's wrong with you? I the tiger. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's in our DNA. We want to dominate. And many times we want to dominate God. And we certainly want to dominate other people. And it's really, really unhealthy when we do that. And that's why Jesus says, that's why in Paul, in verses 1 through 5, I just want to read this. because I think it's the most beautiful picture of what it looks like to obey somebody as opposed to dominating them. Look what Paul says. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, but to, the, but to each of you, to the interest of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. When you obey God, when you even obey people that are close to you in your life, 
you can live in this kind of unity. You won't approach relations with your own selfish ambitions. You're actually going to care more about the other person's life as opposed to yours. You'll celebrate their wins more than your wins. That's Jesus. He chose obedience, not dominance, and you and I have to do that as well. Can I just speak to the alpha people here? Can I speak to the alpha males and alpha females? The reason why you're so lonely is because nobody wants to hang out with a dominant person. Nobody wants to be dominant all the time, dominated all the time. And if you have that dominating personality, that alpha, and I, I ha- I'm an alpha male. If you have that dominating personality, you know what you have to learn to do? You just have to learn to obey people well. Because that helps you to lessen your intimidating, dominating sort of self on other people. And some of you are so dominating, you're so alpha, that nobody would ever disagree with you. If you have relations with people and no one's ever disagreed with you, you don't have intimacy. Because you're not that perfect. I guarantee you. And you got to have a posture of obeying other people. Meaning, because obeying, what does obeying really mean? It means you're submitting yourself to that person. That's why when you obey God, you're submitting yourself to God. And for Jesus, when he obeyed God, he submitted himself to God. When he obeyed other people, he submitted himself to them. It's a beautiful thing. And that's why in verse 8, at the end, because of Jesus' amazing obedience... It says in verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God glorified Jesus Christ. And when you think of being glorified, you think of something just amazing and awesome, right? But really what that's a picture of here is intimacy. God said, Jesus, I want you to be at my right hand my right side. It's a picture of intimacy. And your obedience to God and your obedience to some people that are very close to you will allow you to be glorified, not just in heaven, but even here on this earth, because what you receive from God is intimacy from him and intimacy from other people. And God created you to be known, but you can't be known if you don't embrace your weaknesses if you don't obey God and obey other people, and if you don't have this posture of wanting to serve God and serve others, that's the story and power of Christmas today. There was a, a fifth grade boy. His name was Teddy Stollard. He wasn't the kind of kid that got invited to parties or to people's homes. Nobody wanted to hang out with him. He was really socially awkward. He often didn't wear the right clothing, they weren't clean, and so he often would go to school smelling. Kids would make fun of him as a result of that. Teddy was really detached in classroom. His teacher was Miss Thompson, and every time Miss Thompson would get up to teach in front of the class, Teddy would just look out the window and just pay attention to what's happening outside the window. She would get angry at that. She'd feel insulted by it. And so she got a certain sense of perverse pleasure when she would give him an F in his papers because he got it all wrong. She loved marking it up with all the red ink highlighting his mistakes that he's made on that paper. Ms. Thompson should have known better because Teddy had a record. The record stated this, first grade, Teddy's a good boy and shows promise, but has a poor home situation. Second grade, the report was, Teddy is quiet and withdrawn. His mother is terminally ill. Third grade, Teddy is falling behind. His mother died this year. His father is uninvolved. Fourth grade, Teddy is hopelessly backward. 
His father has moved away. Teddy's living with his aunt. With his aunt. He's deeply troubled. Christmas rolled around, and you know, parents, when you have a kid in, in elementary school, you always buy a gift for the, for the teacher, right? And so all the kids brought their gifts, and they were wrapped in these beautiful, ornate paper, and they gave them these nice cards and stuff like that. And Teddy gives a gift, and it's a brown paper bag, and he just tapes it with tape and writes in, in marker to Miss Thompson from Teddy. And the teacher wanted to open up every gift to admire them in front of the class so the kids feel good. And so she opened up one gift at a time. She finally got the teddy. She ripped open the bag. And it was a rhinestone bracelet with a majority of the stones missing. It was a perfume bottle that was only a quarter full. And so the kids saw that and they started laughing and making fun of them. Like, who in the world would give this gift to a teacher? And she caught it. And so she said, hey, class, this perfume, doesn't it smell good? She started spraying it on herself. And then she put the bracelet on. She goes, wow, this bracelet is beautiful. I love this bracelet. She saw a little twinkle in Teddy's eyes after class. Teddy went over to her and shy, very quietly spoke and said, I'm glad you like my gifts, Miss Thompson. All day long you smell like my mother. And her bracelet looked really good on you too. After he left, Ms. Thompson put her head on the, on the desk, and she just started weeping. She started praying and asked God to forgive her. And she asked God, because she had to embrace her weakness, she said, God, could you please show me what you see in a motherless child? Because I can't see it. See, she had to embrace her weakness to see what God sees. That was her prayer. The next day, school came around, the kids came in, and Ms. Thompson was a different teacher. She decided to offer to work with the children who needed help after school, and of course, Teddy was the one that she had to work with almost every day. She ended up developing an incarnational relationship with this little boy. He graduated fifth grade with flying colors. She didn't hear from him for many years after that, and she wondered about his whereabouts, how he was doing, and finally, she heard from him, and this is, what it, this is the note that he wrote to her. Dear Ms. Thompson... I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm graduating from high school. I'm second in my class, Teddy Stollard. Four years later came another note. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that I'm graduating first in my class. The university has not been easy, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stollard. Four years later, another note came. Dear Ms. Thompson, I wanted you to be the first to know that as of today, I am Theodore J. Stollard, M.D., how about that? I want you to come sit where my mother would have sat because you're the only person in my life that I consider family. Love, Teddy Stollard. This woman took a chance. She risked trying to love a boy that might have rejected her. But the only way she was going to get there was when she embraced her weakness and said, God, can you help me to see what you see in a motherless boy? Because I don't see it. She embraced it, and God showed her and gave her a heart for Teddy. She didn't go to Teddy and say, I need you to serve me with good grades, but I'm going to serve you and spend time with you after school every single day. I'm going to pour into your life. She did that. And she didn't expect it. She didn't dominate Teddy anymore. She didn't dominate him by giving him bad grades 
like she used to before, but rather she obeyed him and took care of the needs that he needed. He didn't need to get good grades. What he needed was love. And what he needed was intimacy. And that's what she was able to do because she was incarnational. Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago, came to this world. He came by embracing his weakness. He was a baby. He didn't come here with strength. He came here with weakness to show you that you too can be weak today on this Christmas Eve. He came here not expecting you to serve him. He came here to serve you. And that's why he says, I didn't come here to be served. I came here to serve everyone. And he even served you unto his death. And he certainly didn't come to dominate you. But he came here to obey God, to obey you, and to serve you and take care of the greatest thing that you have in all of humanity. And that is for you to have an intimate relationship with God. So on this Christmas Sunday, on this Christmas Eve, Will you begin to have an incarnational relationship with your God who came here 2,000 years ago? Will you begin to embrace your weaknesses? Will you have a posture of wanting to serve God and other people? Will you, will you begin to start obeying God and obeying other people as opposed to dominating them? Because if you can do that today, this Christmas season, this Christmas of 2017 can be a very different Christmas for you. May you understand the power and the beauty and the joy that there is in intimacy. So be weak serve and obey. Let's pray.